Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers of all ages, you know who we are. Ah, yeah. It is I, your host, Game Goblin, sitting side by side with... Kazarkan de Lordragon. And Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. Boy, you're real straight in there. A little bit. I am both tired and hungry. Give in to your anger and your hatred. It gives you power. It gives you strength. It gives you focus. Good. Okay, so we're starting off with some spacey stuff here, because that is what we are discussing in today's episode, Space Combat. Uh, I did not come up with the topic for this week. That would be me. Of course, the sci-fi-themed guy came up with ship combat. But I, I don't just want to focus on spaceships, because, oh, the things going into combat. Theater of the mind is the only proper way to do it, people. Just getting that out there now. Okay, but, episode done. <laughs> but I want to go into more of sailing ships, um, land ships, Airship. hell, underwater fucking vehicles. You want to get into fucking airplane battles, fucking dog fights. What's the best and worst you guys have seen? And I'm not just talking tabletop. I'm talking about video game because, oh, man. I remember specifically playing Echo the Dolphin as a kid, being like, oh man, it'd be so cool to like have a submarine game that handled a bit like this, because, well, they, they programmed that thing pretty well. You just hit rocks part of the time, not all the time. <laughs> and, oh, bush moy, it was bad. First time I, I played one of those fucking games with like submarines or ships or any of that stuff, they handled like fucking dog shit. I mean, I'm talking like Assassin's Creed 3 bad. Well, I would think that of the games that I've played, my favorite would have to be Star Wars Galaxies. And that is still very much alive right now if you jump into the emulator, which has a pretty decent crowd to it for the most part. For the most part. <laughs> bad apple in every crate. Oh, and of course, one of the worst apples from the server that I played on when it was still live happens to also play on the emulator. So every time I see that guy, I put my fist through the wall in aggravation and log out. However, the space combat in that game, I love the shit out of it because you got pitch, you got yaw, you got roll, your equipment matters. Like, I used to be a starship crafter for the components that went on it. And I had TIE fighter pilots return the gear I gave them and say, I can't fly in this. And it wasn't because they couldn't fly in it because it was bad. It was just, it was too fine-tuned. <laughs> so, like, I had one guy, he was an excellent TIE fighter pilot. And I gave him an engine and he looks at it, he checks it out. He goes, okay, that's got pretty decent stats on it. It's a bit on the slow side. And I'm like, don't worry about it. You'll be able to dodge anything. And he slaps that engine in his TIE fighter. He comes back like 30 minutes later, hands it back, and he's like, this is a great engine, but I am never using it. I was like, why? And he's like, I fucking twitch, and my TIE fighter would spin out of control. <laughs> it was just that sensitive. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to remarket this one for rebel, uh, rebel ships, since they're not known for being that dexterous. And it actually worked out pretty good. So I had these really fine-tuned... Uh, engines that worked out better in other ships than what they were originally designed for. So you had a lot of different stuff that would integrate itself into your ship's components, whether it was uh, your overall speed, your ability to uh, list or uh, roll in space, and you could barrel roll. And that's what I loved about Star Wars Galaxies is it was a lot of dogfighting. And I try, when I'm doing a space game, to integrate how I remember fighting in space in Star Wars Galaxies, and I bring that to the game table. So if somebody says, oh, I do a barrel roll to evade, uh, you know, the oncoming ship and, you know, drift to the left while faking right kind of stuff. Well, I've already done this in a video game that had this already hard-coded in it from 20 years ago. I know this stuff is possible, so knowing that I can do this in a video game makes it a lot easier for me as a GM 
to translate it to a two-dimensional format with a bunch of players rolling dice. Yeah, and it's it's really good, you know. One, props on, oh, well, this market's not going to work for me. Let's just hop to a different one with this product. Change the name. Ding! Good business sense. Good I always you. had to do that. And on the other side, you know, you're right in that the GM aspect of it, you know, being it's like, hey, this is a neato thing. If any of my players try to do it, I have a general idea what they're trying to do. Which is more than some. Like, I'm not good with pitch yaw or anything like that. I am a terrible pilot. I should never be behind the reins of anything beyond, like, a shrike well, from Starship, Tribes 2. Uh, well, Starship Combat is kind of easy when you're thinking about it. Of course, you got the four of the ship, the prowl. So you got the, the four of the ship. You got the aft, which is the back. So you got the aft, which is the ass. Yeah. And what really gets some people is, of course, starboard and port. You know, when they say, oh, you know, it's coming off, you know, off your port, port side. Port side. Port side. And, you know, you're like, what the fuck is that? It's easy to remember. Port, P-O-R-T, is four letters. So is left. So is left. And starboard is a longer word, and so is R-I-G-H-T. So the easy way to remember is port is left, because both of them have four letters. And, like, I'm aware of that trick, but, like, for whatever reason, I just have a rubbish time flying something that's meant to be flown like a plane? Like, for, yeah. let, you know, let's use the example that I pulled up. In Tribes 2, old game. Oh, yeah. I could do all right with a Shrike. And if I was really in a bind and my team needed it, I could, you know, fly the bomber, which is big and hulking and slow. And not really that big a deal to fly unless you flip it, in which case it'll blow up. Both of them will. As far as ones I don't like, however, and of course he's scrolling over on the computer and had to bring up like the fucking one that gets me irritated like at first sight, <laughs> is two-dimensional play spaces like Starfinder. And early level ship combat in that is boring. It is so rubbish. It's like, oh, well, I'm gonna do a thing that's gonna sound cool. We're gonna try boosting the weapons. Okay, well, you boosted the weapons. Can they hit? Fuck no, they can't. Yeah, I like the fact that everybody's boosting and trying to, like... Everything. Doing everything they can to hit an enemy drone and can't fucking hit it. But 2D play spaces have their own inherent limitations, and, as Blasphemous said, theater of the mind can go a long way, especially in ship combat. I mean, you're dealing with weapons that are firing not just a close range within a kilometer of another ship, but up to 10 kilometers away. It's a lot of lead time. That, that is a lot of lead time, and when you're doing it on a battle map, every... <clears throat> Every space is, like, only, like, a handful of feet. Like, 100 feet, basically. So you're looking at targets that are not even on the physical playmat. Like, no matter how big it is. You know, using a 100-foot square or even, let's be generous and say 500 feet, because space... Scaling is, directly. Yeah. Scaling directly, Scaling right? directly. Well, even on a space scale, uh, 500 feet... Uh, is super fucking close. Is super fucking close in ship combat. That's basically them scraping your hole with their hole. That's that's trading paint. That, that's, that's, that's space... Well, Alright, let, let's look at it this way. Say... <laughs> yes, say... Sorry. That is starship combat in Starfighter summarized... <laughs> In one sound, yes. Sorry. I, I suddenly leaned forward to speak into my mic properly, and I was like, I need to yawn now. And now that's in all of your heads. You don't get much of in 2D combat. It's true. But let's say we scale it up to where your average fighter, right? Everything want, Everyone wants to be a fighter pilot. Just like in D&D, your fighter takes up a full 5 foot by 5 foot square. So in here, your fighter's 100 feet. The square is 100 feet. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but hexagonal works a shitload better for this kind of thing. Hex, oh, yeah. Hex, I've always had a preference for hex maps, uh, especially when aiming in diagonal areas or even like in between diagonal and vertical. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, he agreed that hexes are the superior form to, you know, grids. Although you could make an argument for like triangles or pentagons. Uh, no, it would just be really weird. The. Pentagons, for one, will never tile correctly. Yeah. And triangles, once you break it down, they become a hexagonal. There's actually a really good video by uh, 
Gray, I can't remember the rest of his title, but he talks about how hexagons are the best shape. And it is a thing where hexagons, you can get three-dimensional with them as well. Yeah. And they just directly scale and directly click in together like goddamn puzzle pieces. Yep. Yeah. So that's why they work really well, because they give you not just forward, left, right. And yes, you can do it with squares, but then you're a lot more limited, and then you got to go to every other fucking cutting across as an extra five feet, blah, 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 blah. But. Or just say, screw the sticks, and we're getting measuring tape. I don't want to play 4DK. I, well, and, and, <laughs> I was you, like, oh, we're pulling the wargaming out well, now. Well, still, I mean, if we're going to be like, doing mass scale pedantic about it <laughs> and get pedantic you know if you want to fire in any direction in a 360 degree arc with any accuracy you're gonna have to go warhammer 40k on your tabletop game yeah i mean it, it does make sense i no. mean oh your fireball has a range of 30 well that means it's gonna be 30 inches break out the fucking tape measure whip yeah yeah which even then, I think scaling down your map and your pips, because like what we're looking at right now, I know they can't see it. This is all audio, but no, I, I should hope so. This is all audio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the the ships themselves are printed on a little cardboard bit. This is how most Starfinder stuff goes. They have very few actual three D ships. Because then it becomes like a goddamn Warhammer army, and you need to buy an entire another room for your house. So they use little cheapo standees that you can find in like. Yeah. So the stands. Well, it's also from the Pathfinder pawns. That's the exact yeah. same one, yeah. which I thought was hilarious because it says Starfinder on the bottom. But these take up about a square, and if you were to put, say, a Pathfinder Direct one for one on there, it'd be the size of a regular mini. We all know the standard D&D mini size. Most yep. people. Right? So, but the paper cutouts for the ships, which are just little, like, rectangles that have a ship design on it and a little number in the title. Yeah. Legal. They extend beyond the limits of that actual square. Yeah, we're looking at... Uh... A couple different ships. Well, yeah. the, the picture, of course, is to show you what it is, I suppose, and the pip is to tell you how much space it's taking up. Uh, no, they all have the same general pip. It's to show you where the center of it exists. Oh. So that's the issue. When you get into things like, oh, I don't know, I just have the X-Wing uh, fucking fighter game pieces. Oh, yeah, he's got... Hey, I was just making engines for one of these. Yeah, oh, pow, 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 so they're pow, all pow, on a standard size square. Pow, 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 pow. And the fun part is with the map for this isn't really a map because you can do it on any three foot by three foot area. It's just a backdrop. Yeah, it's a backdrop. Uh, there, There's no grid format on it. So I think that works really well, and that's why I wanted to get this game, partially just because I wanted some of the models. They're pretty. They're pretty pretty. But when it comes down to it, all your movement gets based off pre-measured regulation size sticks. And they all have a value and a direction on it. And it says, all right, you put this to the front of your ship, and it goes to the end of the stick. And they're all moved out to where they have ones that are curved, and they're regulation size. There are ones that uh, are double-sided and are smaller. There's ones that are directly straight. So then all you do is you say, all right, I'm going to full throttle my ship, go for a movement of like seven. You pull out the stick that says seven. You place it down directly in front of your ship. And that's how far it goes. You know, you know what I love about this? Is he says right when he starts that he is that we're in audio format, and then and he I pulls out aids. and then he pulls out visual aids and props. <laughs> well, I pulled them out mainly for you guys because I'm pretty sure neither of you have ever played the X-wing fighter game. Believe it or not, I actually have. There we go. I'm yeah. not rich, and that's mostly it because was twenty dollars. <laughs> but yeah. But, but you know that these things don't have a regulation map with a grid system. It's it, straight up a start drop. It's honestly, a drop. The, the funny part is, though, uh, you, you're bringing out your Star Wars box and you're showing us all the regulation measurements and tables mm -hmm. and sticks. Yeah, we already had that with Steve Jackson Games releasing Car Wars. Yes, I had a copy of the original Car Wars. And it actually has a bunch of little measuring stuff that goes with it. 
And we would actually bring this into our games when we do car chases. Mm. So if we were doing car chases or whatever, we'd run it basically like a, a Car Wars game. You know, like your car has a movement of this and it turn radio a ratio of this. So your car can't make this turn no matter what your drive skill is because your car doesn't have the maneuverability. You're driving a boat, for Christ's sake. Yeah, there's, there's no chance you can make the fucking 90-degree turn in a goddamn caddy. You're trying to fucking drift in a Lincoln? <laughs> that ain't happening. Like that? Like that, exactly. See, so Car Wars uh, by Steve Jackson Games already had all this stuff where we had measurements and there was already diagrams on like how... If you could pull like a 45 degree angle or a 70 degree angle on your table and stuff, or you know, drifting and turning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. And the one thing I miss is I never got to try one car out because that was one of the other cool things too about Car Wars, and we should see more of in other games is modifying your vehicle. Mm -hmm. You know, like the Millennium Falcon. It was fast as shit because it was a mod. It was an aftermarket mod it, on was a an, ship that was already modular. Yeah, because there was an aftermarket mod on the ship. And one of the things I did with Car Wars with my cars, I made a monster car. And I had, uh, basically, the tires were armor-plated. And I'd roll over onto my opponent and then have the front tires go in forward and the rear tires go in reverse. <laughs> and just And just blender them up underneath my car. <laughs> and... Yeah, I had no maneuverability, but if I was coming straight on at you, dude, it was like a shark with monster truck tires glued to it. <laughs> and that's one thing I think that most games need to remember is mods on the vehicle. Change its performance. Yeah, change its performance, change its armor value, change its ability to go up and down, left and right, pitch, yaw, roll, whatever uh, form you're playing, whether it's on water, land, or in sky. Hey, I guess we figured out exactly which car you ran. The one labeled Goblin. Uh, no, I didn't see that. No, I had that box right there, the one with the red dude and the helmet. Yeah, straight up, that's the one I had. Bam, the box set. <laughs> deluxe edition. And it, yeah, the deluxe edition, it even had little pips for all the cars that were perfectly sized for the grid and everything. Car Wars Tanks. Of course. By Steve Jackson Games. Hey, if there is a game out there that needs a Steve Jackson label on it, he'll find one to put on there. Cars, Tanks. There's probably like a Car Wars um, fucking hover skiffs for swamps. Like Florida <laughs> edition. Dude, I'm pretty sure I've seen this at fucking... Um, well, I've seen it at a bunch of LGSs and conventions. But I swear I've seen the cover art for it as a poster at fucking... Um, not Hot Topic, the other one. Yeah, that never The other out. sellout shop that used to be all the punk kids, but... In the mall. Yeah, that narrows it down, dude. There's like five of those. Come on. I, I've kind of moved on from that era. Name them off, though. No. Uh, fuck if I know. You think we're going to shop there? We're talking about space remember. combat. But, but combat. either way, when it comes to a mode of transportation in a combat scenario, whether it's ships, boats, cars, any of that, having a just regulated system of measurements, like... I've told you guys before, I came up with a thing, thanks to Goblin giving me a whole bunch of these extra metal pips. Well, now, instead of going and painting them through, because I don't like having to reprime after I've already finished a painting, uh, I just went through with a Sharpie and started putting numbers on them. So now, to represent 3D... Uh, oh, God, that one is... Yeah. Um, I, I layer them. So it's like, all right, this one goes up, so I'm going to put a 1 on it. So that's gone up one five-foot step or however many hundred feet I've decided is the, the, the end goal for flight. Yeah. Um, and two and three and four. But then you flip them over and uh, it's a different color Sharpie. So that's how low it is. So, so if, you've it, got if it's the black negative. Sharpie, they're elevating. If it's red Sharpie, they're descending. Under. That's clever. a really easy, uh, clever format. That's... For anybody running games where there is, like, flight or space combat or anything, that's actually a really good indicator as to, from the 2D plane that you're looking at on the map, mm -hmm. you know, how far above or below uh, your character you are. Which well, is really clever. That's really neat. I am totally stealing this idea. Yeah, that's Feel a really good free. idea. It, it's uh, non-patented. 
<laughs> but but so it's like all these people out there doing 3D prints of rings you put on a mini that's like, oh, now you have the second condition. Now you have this. Now you have that. I'm like, that. that's cool, but those rings, you know, they, they end up cluttering. And then yeah. trying to get them off, if it's a custom mini, if it's a fragile mini. And then I kind of took my idea from watching people play that uh, hero clicks. You, you put a dice on the guy. Or like in Warhammer, I've seen it. They got a dice on the guy, symbolizing this guy has a thing they can do. And I was like, well, because originally I was like, I'll just put a dice on the thing to mark that it's up, you know, up one, up two, up three. I'm like, but what about going down? So instead, I've just got a bucket of pips that have a one on them on both sides, and they're different colors, you know, red on one side, black on the other, because those are two easy colors to distinguish. Yep. And I've got a bucket of twos, threes, fours, fives. I think I've got all the way up to nines now, and I've still got a fuck ton of the same size to use. And really, I don't plan on ever having a ship combat where there's more than, say, five things I need to keep track of. Yeah, actually, there's a really great idea, because I know a gamer, and I use that word loosely. Loosely. (laughs) Oh, yeah, very loosely. Like Pamela Um, Anderson loosely? I don't even think that she's that loose. (laughs) When it comes to using the term loosely in accordance to the person I'm referring to. But, if I'm going to use two different colored numbers on pips to uh, differentiate between height and elevation or depth, I think that I will use the colors green and red. Just because they're colorblind and I hate that fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So remember, you know... Uh, if you want your pips to be legible, do not use those two colors. I mean, if you have somebody in your group that's awesome and colorblind at the same time, that's great. Just remember that you might want to use colors other than green or red. Yeah, and you can go beyond that. You don't even have to use numbers. Um, I could have just gone and painted the... Well, the hard part was priming both sides of a, a coin, basically. And you can use pennies, you can use poker chips, you can use fucking Doritos. Yeah, he got lucky because I was working uh, at the time in a fabrication plant. And the machine I had would pop out these one inch in diameter metal slugs made of aluminum. And just hit them on the uh, bumping wheel a couple of times real quick. Then break off the sharp edges. And bam, he got a butt. And they were the same size as the battle map. Yeah, I, I think I remember that. And you had several... Uh, you had several different diameters for them. Oh, yeah. So it's like... Yeah, well, there were the round ones, and then there was ones that were sort of like almost dog tag-in-like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The dog tag ones are the ones I'm using. The round ones that are of varying size are now for monsters I do not have minis for. That's also fair. All I need is a footprint, because they are directly scalable. Yeah, they are. They're the same size. I, like, I brought them home, and I dropped them on my battle map, and I'm like... This is perfect. I got a small, a large, and... Bigger sizes. Yeah, I had a small, medium, large, and gargantuan creature. So I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Now, those are the games that I played, though, like, because we're doing, you know, space combat, good games, bad games, the mechanics thereof. I would have to say space combat in Pathfinder's by far the worst, but for influence, Star Wars Galaxies. What now, about are you, you guys? talking Pathfinder or Starfinder? See, I did it again. <laughs> and that is a call back to last week's episode right there. Yes. Right, I see. That's what they get for naming their games so similar. Well, I figure it's because they're unimaginative. But... For yes. Chud Finder? <laughs> <laughs> Where at? Sorry, I just had to make up a new word. I'm, I'm just going to call it Chud Finder now. There you go. But, uh, oh man, there's just... For me, I wish that anything that had to do in a 3D movement handled like Echo the Dolphin. I don't know if you've ever played that game there. Mon- uh, I almost said Moniker. He's still not with us. Um, yeah, he's got a job. Yeah. He's got real life aggro. Also, but, how fucking dare you? Oh, no. I'm sorry, Pony. <laughs> oh. He's got a ponytail now. He's dead. <laughs> I know. I know. Harsh. Which is funny because his last Facebook post was, I'm still alive. <laughs> so he's he's still he's still trolling us from beyond the grave. 
God rest him. Yeah. But anyways. Um, Another victory for COVID. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't believe that got him. Uh, so one of the things that I think would be great is any 3D ship uh, combat situation handled like the Echo the Dolphin game. I don't know why that one sticks out to me so well, but I played the Star Wars uh, Rebels video game on the GameCube the Nintendo 64 fucking Superman game, which, oh my god, was handled like dog ass. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, Superman 64 is like one of the worst fucking games ever. Yeah. yeah. I would rather play E.T. on the Atari. Oof. God, that game made no sense either. That's why at least it doesn't make sense. It just has E.T. on the label, and after that, you don't care. But so it's one of those things of like a bunch of these games, like they don't handle very well. Blazing Angels for the Xbox 360 was pretty good, but that was limited in it was only aircraft. And I've played a couple of those aircraft simulators, and I'm kind of over aircraft simulators because I work on airplanes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would do it. And they don't handle the way I know airplanes handle. <laughs> you know, they, they try to be like, oh, I think the best game for wanting to do car stuff, if you could literally take the driving fucking mechanics of uh, Grand, any of the Gran Turismo games, if you could input those car uses into actual games, then it would be amazing for anything for driving a car. I mean, yeah, and there's a lot of different variations on driving, right? Uh, let's let's take a little bit more of an unconventional um, hard space shipbreaker, right? kind of a newer game, still in development, it's early access. You play one of the dudes in a spacesuit tearing apart spaceships for salvage. Apparently there's yet more of these for Car Wars, and I'm I told you. increasingly curious about this well, game. We're doing a podcast right now, so stop reviewing Car Wars, even though I mentioned it. It's, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny, though. As much shit as you guys give me for being all old and stuff, I mentioned a game that I used to play, and you're like, well, let's look up a few things on the internet while we podcast, and then you guys are all interested in it. <laughs> oh, fuck. I, I kind of want the Australia edition just so we could do Mad Max. <laughs> Everybody wants the Australia edition so they could do Mad Max. But anyways, you were saying... I'm not even gay, and I want to do Mad Max. <laughs> there you go. See? Um, he has made me koala curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how can I be a mammal and lay eggs? Hey, he can put a shrimp on my Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to as he pulls a Ken doll out of his bag. That's kind of weird. Ah, okay. Well then, um, but in in hard space, you are in a zero G environment, so you can. Turn, you can pitch, yaw, roll forward, and you can have you have the full 360 and the 720 arc. So the if one axis is left and right, and the other one's up and down, you have all of them. Yeah, you have a 360 in all the uh, core directions. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because it they actually did momentum in. Uh, zero atmosphere very very well zero g as well because you will if you don't break slam into things you can crack your helmet and you know die you Although, can also tumble yourself into the giant furnaces that are meant for taking apart ships there there is another thing i would like to note here though uh especially because since i am a bigger fan of space combat than i am aerial combat and so on and this is actually a question that was asked to me by one of my gamer buddies the other day. He's like, why is it in Star Trek, when two ships meet each other, they're always level, right? You watch Star Trek, the original series, they're always level when two ships meet. Next Generation, same deal. Voyager. Everything. Everything. They're always level. Well, it turns out, by the lore... Stop looking at Car Wars, dick. You distracted <laughs> me. It turns out, by the lore... There is an auto-write feature built into spaceships. And it's actually one of the few things that uh, spaceships give, like when the Federation meets a new species, they will just give it away. It's a non-military technology, and it helps. Mm -hmm. And 
when this gets translated into the video games, because I've been playing a fuck ton of Star Wars or Star Trek lately. Who'd have thunk? And who'd have thunk? And you can even extend this to other games that are space combat. Like if you want to be a space corporate pirate for the rest of your life, winning and steal VHSs. Yeah. <laughs> wait for cooldown timers and shit. I think everybody knows the game I'm talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just just wait for the eve. Your cooldown timers might be done. But EVE Online, of course, and Star Trek and a few other games actually pull this 2D format out. As much as I don't like it on my tabletop, it does make sense in the degree that, like, when your ship meets an enemy ship, while you're fighting on a 2D plane that doesn't scale up or down very high, but you have infinite space to deal with from a left-right forward-back ratio. Because the That's software good. on the ship writes to your ships, so you're basically dogfighting in space without doing barrel rolls and all of the cool shit. And then the other thing about it is, it helps your mind process. It helps your mind process, like the pilot of the ship, oh, forward, forward 70%, shields to full, right? You know where you're going. Yaw X degree, you know where you're going because you're using that as a baseline. And with that third dimension, you are not also adding pitch, yaw, tip. Yeah, you're not adding depth or you know, height, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's just an easier thing, especially because most gravity-based creatures understand the concept of up and down. Most of them do. Uh, what I find interesting about it, though, is the ship riding technology uh, that turns your ship to be on a level plane with another uh, ship. So basically, I should say plane riding technology you know, instead of level. It's an alignment tool. It's an alignment tool. It's basically a gyro. It is. Oh, it runs off gyros. It runs off gyros. I would say that, though, if I was running a tabletop game that was in space and I'm fighting just solely on a two-dimensional plane with maybe a plus two or a minus two modifier for height and depth to the mm -hmm. ship's fighting, is basically that the technology built into the ship's computer is saying, hey, we can't make maneuvers like this. Even though it is far future fantastical technology, like you said, Kazrakan, it's easier for us to process by treating space combat more like naval combat. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, like I said, all gravity-based creatures, so everything that grew up on a planet, is going to have this concept. And it, they're going to, unless they're naturally aero, aeronautic-based, so they're more... Guilty. More... You, you hey, I've, been, I've been working on aircrafts for a decade now. I've always cared about aircraft and ships, and especially from Star Wars and looking at the games, I learned to understand what a HUD meant, all the bits and pieces. So my brain now thinks aircraft forward. Not what's my forward, what's aircraft forward. Exactly. See, and like the aeronautics field, for whatever species, or avian-type species that are naturally gifted with flight will have different responses to how to navigate in the absence of ground. I think in a tabletop game, though, because that's what the, the point of view I'm coming from, is like, he's telling me about HUD and all that. That's great. Unfortunately, not everybody has your experience with that. I know. Yeah, Not everybody has, you know, the angle of what the HUD means. But a lot of people I run into uh, have at least some idea. We've all seen yeah. Top Gun or something where you see the little the deals, just the numbers spinning on one side of the screen, or you've played Call of Duty or one of those super normie games. That the everyone... problem is, though, is when you're rolling dice, you're sitting on the couch, not in yeah. a cockpit. True. Which or is whatever why, the fuck they call them now. Which is why someone like me who has that understanding can find a way to simplify it, to translate it into an understandable system. That's why I thought of, hey, I've got pips, and on one side is one color, one the other yeah. side another, and that's how you can distinguish your elevation. So now you can realize, all right, well, that's five hexagons straight ahead of me, but it's only got three uh, pips saying it's up, so now what's the distance if I were to shoot straight? I, so I, I, then I, you're figuring out yeah. the parabola of a triangle, right? Uh, as, as much as Pythagorean. we would well, like the, the to, you know, theorem, yeah. make 3D combat on a tabletop game as legit as possible, 
to try to break it down into numbers that, you know, your current aircraft is right now at a pitch of 23 degrees and your angle is at 74 degrees north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know, you start saying stuff like that, and people are just going to drop out of the game because it's becoming too complex. See, see, those are the things that you don't have to relay in game. You're like, all right, it's straight ahead of you, slightly to your left, and it's up five uh, fucking increments, right? Yeah. So directly ahead, slightly to your left, up five increments. Anyone can get that. Anybody. I'm can not get giving that. them that. All right, well, you're in space battle, so. The ship is coming at you at a fucking 35-degree yaw, you know. <laughs> Possible collision if maintaining current course. Your auto computer is telling you to go uh, and descend, but they're not making the movements to ascend at the moment, so your chance of collision are And to five. make it worse is you only have 3,600 pounds of fuel left. Yeah, exactly. Or worse yet, I make them convert into fucking keggers because I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah, no lie, dude. Yeah, that shit brought down aircraft, people. Conversion. I, I, I think, though, uh, treating space combat more like naval combat, keep it simple, stupid, sh- that is my purview on it. If I was running a game, I would try to keep it simplified and still engaging and fun so my players can still get away with doing stupid shit. And like, you know, you mentioned earlier, theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. If we're doing a theater of the mind, I can just keep notes casually at my end going, okay, their ship is 500 on meters away on turn two. <laughs> so when the players go, well, how far are they away? I go, oh, they're 500 meters, you know, they're about to your 10 o'clock. That would exactly. be about as complex as I get. It's like the clock dial mm-hmm. indicator, you know, like. Yep. Which is a, another classic thing. And, and since my gaming group, my primary group, has Navy boys. Well, now only one Navy boy. You know, may the other one have a great time for his next couple years in Japan. Um, you know, they understand these things. And because they're in positions, not so much as they're the leader, because that would be the Jiggles. Uh, they all voted him. I had no no, way no uh, weight say. in this. I didn't have a vote. Uh, so he understands general combat stuff. But it's our Navy boys who are like, all right, so this is what this means. So we do it that way. And if we were to play it like in Starfinder where you're on the bridge, you're the fucking crew going, all right, now we need to do this. That would be great because he's basically the fucking science officer standing over the captain's shoulder going, I believe we should do this, Captain. Captain turns and says, thank you, Spock, you knife-eared space elf. (laughs) You pointy, blooded, green-eared bastard. <laughs> you ever heard of something so dumb it gives you the Forrest Kelly face? <laughs> oh my god. But but that's one of the things of you don't not everyone sitting at the table has to understand everything that's on the HUD. But as someone trying to portray this, it's good to have an understanding of how the HUD works. So that I can go through and translate into Normie, which is my main language, because in all regards I am a normie. But I have a specialization. And I can take this knowledge and be like, all right, if I were to lay this out on a map, how do I have it make sense? Urge to re-intensifies. <laughs> Why are you going to re? Normies, <laughs> <Boys>, get out. <laughs> no normies allowed. And the other thing is, like, the HUD is actually a huge piece of information. It, no matter what you're looking at, right? Be it you know, on the paper or on the screen or anything, your vehicle, with the exception of, like, medieval wagons, if it has a screen, it has a HUD. Because the pilot needs all of those information to do their job. Actually, it's, it's kind of funny. I once had a sorcerer who duct taped two boats together and had a HUD inside of it. <laughs> yeah, so HUDs are important. I did exactly. not put a hut in a wagon, but I did put one in a boat, and then I flew it around. Yeah, see? See, but because again, we're flying. Well, I took one boat, and I put it on top of the other boat, so the entire boat looked like a giant... Um, Submersible? No, like an almond. Okay, yeah. And then I so got, he had a UFO. I had a UFO. I had a little pilot's compartment with some magic hijinks. I would fly around and shoot uh, mini-missile guns at people. <laughs> Pew! So, that magic missile guns? This was a very early build. <laughs> So anyways, um, but it's one of those things of like uh, a heads up display, which is what HUD means, 
is a good way for you to get a lot of information in a tiny space, right? Yeah. So, but when you look at all the readings and things you would have to get to actually understand it to be a pilot, there's what we have the the common T, right? It's like five different readouts to give you where you are in three dimensional space, and they're all super basic mechanical things you look at, but. No one playing a game needs to have the goddamn common T where you need to adjust it by hand to be like, okay, I finally get where our ship's at. Where are they? I don't know. But ship-to-ship -ship combat should have more of a feel. That's why Theater of the Mind is so good. And I wasn't sure if you guys had something from, like, GURPS or fucking any of those on how ship-to-ship -ship combat goes uh, there. The only thing I ever done in GURPS was drive a tank into a cave full of aliens and then make the mistake of firing a plasma weapon inside of said cave. <laughs> How'd that go? Um, tell us why no one should we, do we it. We had an android who really liked Toy Story way too much and modeled himself after Buzz Lightyear. So you've never experienced GURPS until you've had a punk rock vampire in a bright hot pink tank fire a plasma cannon only to hear Buzz Lightyear start pounding on the fucking hole yelling, Back it up! Back it up! <laughs> <laughs> that's uh pretty i took that tank everywhere <laughs> uh no again just I, I don't have any flight experience in gurps uh or vampire the masquerade uh i do in rifts and strangely enough in dungeons and dragons well how does how does it work in rifts <laughs> in rifts it is all a hundred percent theater of the mind okay so there's not like a super specific rule set is just I, what your gun well, can do. You're always firing in a straight line. No, it I, I seems like the way Rift plays is a purely theater of the mind game. Like that's at the very least that's the way that it's been run for us. That's that's uh, when I first started playing Rifts. It's always been theater of the mind. I have rarely, if ever, seen battle maps broken out. It's basically the future tech version of Vampire the Masquerade. You you have a range on your weapons, sure. You but know. it's like, how far is he? He's at... But, it's 300 feet. Yeah, it's 300 feet. Well, that's well within your range of 500 meters. So I'm just going to go pew. Yeah, so the range has pretty much been negated for the most part in Rift, so you can fire at anything if you can see it. Mm -hmm. You can probably shoot at it. And space combat, when it comes to the ships and everything, uh, in the fights that I've been in, it has all been close quarters combat, except for the, the time I was flying my planet killer, then it was... I just rammed them with planets, but that's the way Rift plays. You just get OP as fuck. Yeah. I'm just like, OP. <laughs> when you use a planet as your armor plating on the front of your spaceship, you know you've gotten too much power, and it's probably time to retire the character. <laughs> so I did. I was like, this is too much power. I'm hitting people with a planet. Because it's fun, and I want a hamburger. But, as far as the mechanical system goes, almost you can break a map out for it, but there's really not much of a, ne a need. Uh, you know, like, if I was telling Kazrakan in my game, oh, you know, he's flying this ship, he gets something on sensors. How far does sensor say it's out? And I would be like, oh, it's at 4,800 kilometers out. Well, he's What's only got a range of 1,000 kilometers, so he can't hit it yet. What's Once the profile it, say? Yeah. It's like, now now I'm fishing for more information about the craft, because the sensors have picked it up. They're going to tell me something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and once I'm, the ship is in range, normally they'll do, like, evasive maneuvers, you know, so the other player will be like, well, I barrel roll, or, you know, I lift, I, I list to the left, dip my nose down, and, you know, I do basically a space faint. Yeah. Um... You know, so they try to I'm drifting in space. You can drift in space. I've done it. <laughs> it makes sense. It would be easier since it just wouldn't have the screech marks. No, you use your mass to your. Hey, if I I've watched Spaceballs enough times, I know that you will have the streak marks in space yeah, dust in space because balls, you're you that cool. <laughs> no, in space combat, what you do is you uh you go full throttle forward in if you want to do a uh, a nose spin around. And this works really well in guns with a lot of front-forward guns in most games that I played. You go in full throttle, you t you kick off the throttle, and then you let the mass of your vehicle continue to propel you forward because you're not going to decelerate in space. In space, unless mm -hmm. you hit something or something hits or you, or you cross another gravity well, which then will more than likely just change your trajectory. Yeah, but I'm talking about a ship to ship. 
And then as you're coming towards the other ship, you uh, basically kick on which direction you want to go. So if I want to turn right, I'm going to kick on the left. My left side uh, vents to shunt you to basically push me. So I'm turning on my, my forward left and my rear right vents to begin my ship to pivot. So mm -hmm. I'll spin in place, and once I get spun around as far as I want to... I'll kick it the other way I'll, to stabilize. Yeah, I'll kick on my uh, rear engines again to stabilize because I'm now dr basically drifting backwards. Which I think is just a good way to look at it is to watch the show, um, and we're not sponsored by the purveyors of this show, but The Expanse. Yeah. Because if you watch The Expanse, it's the most scientifically quote-unquote correct way you would have to do ship-to-ship -ship fighting. And ship to ship anything. And it really makes a lot of sense where firing torpedoes means a lot fucking more than just, ooh, little shiny spark going ooh, out. Ooh, little sparkle. I love that shit. Especially, what was it, the Next Generation episode where they're like, we're going to fire a torpedo uh, to mark the openings of this race. And you just see this crappy little sprite run across the screen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <clears throat> it kind of does make sense, though. Because when you're dealing in space, space is fucking huge. Well, there's at a... the same time, your torpedoes are not going... They might still be, you know, the size of a semi-truck. But well, they're, they're not going to be comparably sized mm -hmm. to be visible against the great nothing when your ship is... But it, it's you know, funny when they're like, yes, the back end... Well, okay, in, in Next Generation, they literally were just balls of energy. They weren't even, like, implying that it was a missile. You only got that when you were, like, standing in the fucking cargo bay. And they're like, oh, this is proton torpedoes. But whenever it was being fired from the ship in their crappy CG they had, it was a big... It, it literally looked like a cotton ball someone had hit with fucking... It's the light got from the engine. Stick. Yeah. yeah it, was the, it was the light from the torpedoes uh, fuel. But it was just so bright and it, yeah. it looked so bad. It did. It, it looked very bad but what i'm saying and of course one of the other things to remember in space combat and i was actually looking up some stuff about this is why energy weapons have a range on them in space because you figure shit a laser i can hit mars from here well you not can... necessarily true number one how much power you're amping into the rate laser and number two space is not a complete void of emptiness there's particulates, there's dust, there's floating matter, gases, which are going to diffuse the energy of your energy weapon. And also, it will... So, as it gets more diffused, you know, more spread out, it loses focus. With laser and energy weaponry, they need that focus to do damage. So, they're, they, they have a limited range. The, the projectile in, you know, great big dick fingers will still keep going... But it won't have the energy needed to do anything beyond certain ranges. And even then, you still have to lead your target. A lot. It's actually kind of like the saying in Mass Effect. Yes, <laughs> I love that line. When you fire your weapon, you know the rule of Isaac Newton, you're going to ruin somebody's fucking day. <laughs> no matter what. You're going to ruin somebody's goddamn day. That projectile will not stop. It may hit a rogue planet. It may hit a rogue planet. It might become a rogue planet. It might become a rogue planet. But eventually that projectile is going to hit something. And if something there happens to be intelligent, you are going to ruin their day. And that is why, Private Jenkins, we do not, as you call it, eyeball it. You always check your target. <laughs> Use the sir, force, Luke. That means Sir Isaac Newton is the deadliest motherfucker in space. Bar none. No, the better line, I think, was from uh, Obi-Wan, Steve Ben Kenobi, or whatever his name was, mm. was, use the instrument panel, Luke. High technology for hitting tiny targets. That's <laughs> why it's there. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it's funny, because one of the lore reasons was that uh, the targeting computer couldn't be accurate enough to hit that small uh, hole at that speed. Well, Cheap you know what? Out. I've hit smaller holes while completely drunk. Just saying. Of course, I woke up. <laughs> but you were not going that fast. <laughs> I was not going that fast. It, to be honest, I love the comparison when I've talked to people, you know, like people who are into, you know, science and physics when we get in these conversations. 
It's basically like taking your halfway empty solo cup, driving a car at 80 miles an hour and trying to throw it out the window to make it into a trash can. That's what it was like. Looking at it from a simple physics as aspect. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's actually a really good analogy. Oh, yeah. That, that's why I stole it from the dude. And, oh, my God. I, I love running across actually intelligent people in my line of work because I work with some kids who... Like, before they started, they were working at the mall at Lids. And, hey, nothing against them. I'm glad they decided to get a career in a good field. Well, before the coof. All the ick. But, um, All the ick vid. But, uh, before the paddock. But, yeah. you know, when their main conversation every day is, oh, did you see this on TikTok? I really stopped hanging out with them and started talking more to the engineers sitting down up on the mezzanine. Actually, what's really uh, interesting was... I always had the argument with my, my father because he, he got it in my head first, right? And he's like, oh yeah, that's the worst line in all of Star Wars is, you know, a parsec is not a measurement that you can use to, you know, do this and that and the other and stuff. And, you know, it, travel it under this many parsecs, it doesn't, no. And then I like looked up, uh, you know, how parsecs work. And then I looked up how black holes work. And then I walk in on my, on my dad one day, and I was like, well, actually, imagine this piece of string is the distance a parsec takes. I'm going to put this piece of string down on the table now. This is one parsec on the table. These are black holes pulling this light beam all over the place. That means the Millennium Falcon was fast enough to do this, meaning it traveled less distance than the string. Thus it is. And my dad just looked at me like, you little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, you guys ever watch the Star Wars um, documentaries? Oh, I've seen plenty. So, there's one where they talk about that line. And it's like the main crux of what the Kessel Run was. I think it was a special on like the Millennium Falcon and why it's so cool. Um, and they're like, yeah, if you look at it, he was supposed to come up with, on the fly, a line that sounded cool, but was literally just a bluff that meant nothing. So it was supposed to be one of those things, oh, I did this really cool thing with a word I think I'm using correctly. <laughs> but everyone takes it seriously. You so they had to go in and retcon the entire reality back then when they were doing the novels and all that to what that meant. You know, actually, that is baller. That's even better than me fighting with my dad. Dude, <laughs> it wasn't even in the script. They're just like, oh, yeah, it's basically like Star Trek where they're like, uh, science jargon. And with them, it was like, make up something impressive. And he's like, did the Kessel Run in so many parsecs. Sounds cool. It sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, so basically, he's bluffing his ass off in true to smuggler form. True, because that, that was just, they were, the way they did Star Wars originally was it was focused on the characters. Everything else, because it was brand new, they could just flub it up and then have it all make sense by what you would consider a cop-out, I'm sure. But it's the way that when you're writing a story not from the technical aspects of a world building like Tolkien would do but instead you're building a brand new world from the character's perspective and you're doing it more from the interactions between them making the rest of the world make sense yeah and both are equally valid when it comes to narrative portrayal as long as you keep it consistent well, that becomes the issue after years and multiple movies, because even the original trilogy contradict each other. And that's one of the many things we see with people's writings. I mean, how many times are they like, you can never do this, and then it's done. Or we establish through all the stuff that you cannot do this, but then they, they do that when someone else picks up the project. You know. Yeah, yeah. you cannot use light speed as in a weapon to attack ships. But now you can. See, I'm trying to figure out. But now it's a one in one million chance, which means Holdo is wildly irresponsible or incredibly lucky. Right. <laughs> well, we're incredibly lucky because she's dead. Yeah, well, thank the gods that character is dead. Thank you, Vishnu, Brahma, Shiva, whoever. <laughs> thank you. It, it's one of those things of. In the lore or legends. To big dick fingers on that. Big dick fingers. <laughs> um, the entire computer system that would be used for calculating that literally wouldn't do it. It would say, you cannot do this, therefore. Hard, 
hard coded safeties. Yeah, it was it was like the fucking rules of robotics, except that it made sense. Yeah, it's like because this the whole system will... was built to make you live through it. It's not fucking forty k where oh we're gonna jump through hell because uh, we don't mind if just some of our people disappear or we never make it out. That is retarded. That's yeah. like saying, oh, you know, I'm just going to fire up my car. I don't care if it's leaking fuel. And I'm going to drive it through the highway at max speed. Come on, kids. The car's about to explode. We're going to Arizona. <laughs> Basically. You know, it's like, fuck it. I'm not going to slow down. I'm going to drive 80 miles an hour the whole way down this mountain highway. With a flat tire and everything. Yeah, with a flat tire and a fucking wobbly wheel. Where we're going, we don't need axles. Basically. <laughs> oh, that's badass because we just don't care. It's like, no, you're a dumbass and you're going to die. So Yeah, built-in safeties are a thing, and this is a very useful thing because, guess what? It means that they do their job if people survive. Yeah, and, and actually and the these funny are part is, and the funny part, of course, again, coming at this from a tabletop role-playing standpoint... A built-in safety feature in a combat scenario, whether it's in space or uh, on land or in a boat, is actually the GM's best way of saying, no, the vehicle does not want you to do that. It's already built in. The computer will not allow you to do this. Or the spell that makes your flying ship fly will not allow you to do it. Yeah, however you want to do it. But these kinds of things are they're built in for a reason. That reason well, is to actually make them useful without being murder pits. And here's one of the ones that really gets me. You cannot go to light speed or exit light speed in atmosphere. That yeah. shit bugged me in The Force Awakens, and it bugs me now because there's a reason they can't jump to or out of. Oh, Because you're Jesus. basically going from quote-unquote void where it's super super thin existence to all of a sudden you're in air where particulates are so close together you can live in it well not just that but like <sighs> the amount of friction the ship would encounter upon entering atmosphere while exiting out of light speed well let's, 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 and not only just that but the amount of displacement that would happen to the atmosphere would kill like half the planet instantly. Why do you think Just, the dinosaurs went extinct? Because that thing was going no, real fucking no, fast this, this and goes, slammed in. This, it's beyond that. This would be... Yeah. It, it wouldn't just slam in and it'd be an explosion and life would come back in like a million years. No, this would be so bad it would sterilize the atmosphere. Yeah, like... This is uh, even more worse than what would happen if Santa Claus were real. Dude, this is like uh, fucking mantis shrimp punching so hard they create light. Yeah, this is like a mantis shrimp punching a planet. <laughs> a really big mantis shrimp punching a planet. Like galactus-sized mantis shrimp. Yeah. And, like, this is a thing that needs to be taken care of. Like, agreed, you don't get past light speed in Atmo. You know you what I think we do need it. to do? Mm. We need to get a hold of my favorite um, white chocolate cookie, Mr. Nerdstrom, and have him crunch the mathematics, since he loves to do math shit, <laughs> and have him crunch the mathematics on what an object the size of the Millennium Falcon with its mass traveling at sublight speed would do when it enters the atmosphere of a planet. Well, traveling at uh, faster than light speed. Yeah, traveling at that. Jesus Christ, dude. He's already looked at me enough times and said, how do you want to create a supernova when I come up with shit? And he's done it with, like, oh, yeah, it's just a punt gun. What does it do? It lobs dirt. No, no, the punt no, gun. No, no, the punt gun lobs matter at faster than light speeds. No, no, the punt gun lobs matter at matter. Both pieces of matter are traveling at point nine 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 to the infinitesimal level of speed of light. <laughs> when the two pieces of matter collide in the punt gun collider, it creates a supernova. And the supernova subsequently creates my phylactery. And then I am the new lich overlord of all the XP. <laughs> Everything dies. Hey, screw boiling an anthill, dude. That's inefficient as hell. <laughs> Especially if I'm over 6,500 feet. <laughs> it, it's like. 
setting off a nuke to get a fly. Sometimes you got to kill a king with a fucking nuke. I've done it. <laughs> yes, but you're not standing in the same room and using the energy the nuke puts out to run your goddamn solar battery. But I could. <laughs> Idea. I just saw those gears are clicking. I just yeah. Um, like if it wasn't for the fact that I'm it's still locked in your noggin, I'm pretty sure that viewers, listeners would have heard it through the mics. I, I'm just saying, if I build a, the proper collider, and not, not collide as in things colliding, but a collider as in a collaborator collider, yeah, I could harvest the energy from that. And if I was a necromancer in a boot, <laughs> uh, and according by the new rules in Pathfinder, I don't have to be a necromancer. I could also harness the spiritual energy. Yeah, I could do it. <laughs> and now he has officially created a Dyson Sphere for Souls. I could do it. Maybe. <laughs> Set I it mean, up around your genocide. No, I've never considered power. collecting the energy from my magical explosions to fuel other things, but I'm sure, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> I can make basically the D&D version of a nuclear reactor that's got no radiation. Free electricity for everybody in my kingdom. <laughs> Sign here. <laughs> okay, alright. That, oh, that, that, yeah. That's a way to end the show. That's the, that's the drop down. If you can't handle ship-to-ship -ship combat, just set off a nuke and then set up solar arrays to take like the energy. It. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna go uh, ponder these mysteries. <laughs> back to my crypt I go. Kazakhan, uh, back to the skies. Darth Blasphemous signing off. And this is why we don't have many people that want to play D and D with us anymore.